Welcome to Freeman on Real Estate, the podcast about the hard facts behind what's going on in real estate. Realtor Mike Freeman of Coldwell Banker, who holds an MBA in finance, draws from his financial background and deep network to bring the most value for anyone looking to buy, sell, rent, or invest. Hey, welcome back everyone to Freeman on Real Estate. This is David Yaz of the Boston Podcast Network. Here from our Westwood Mass studios, I am alongside the star of the show, Realtor Mike Freeman. How are you, Mike? I'm doing great, Jeff. How are you? Good. It's good to see you in the studio today. We're recording this on a Monday. I think I'm moving a little slower than normal. Did you have a good weekend? Yeah, it was good. We were away. We were away in New York, bar mitzvah, spent Ooh. time in the city with all three kids. Sam flew up. So it was, it was a really good weekend. Your typical bar mitzvah reception with all the celebration? It wasn't uh, quite like that. It was, it okay. was orthodox, so they oh, weren't okay. like as crazy. We had a comedian. Who, oh, really? Yeah, who really wasn't funny. that funny. I mean, he was okay, <laughs> but but it was good to be there. There's my best friend from college, his kid. Oh, cool. And my kids are close to him, so it was, oh, cool. it was a lot of fun. At my bar mitzvah, I had a fortune teller. That was like, I think it was my mom's idea. And somebody in my, one of my friends said, fortune telling is kind of against Judaism in general. And I said, we said, eh, so what? <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but I crashed Griffins. Do you oh, remember that? Vaguely. Yeah. Oh, you're at the CBS scene? Yeah, exactly. And oh. I think three of us were out at the CBS scene and we knew you were there because Sam was there. Oh, right. My son. Yeah. And we just crashed. Okay. And you're like, hey, Mike, you guys have a drink. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like me. <laughs> God, and, that was so long me. ago. And me. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. I just remember the kids were late getting there because there was a soccer game at Gillette Stadium and it delayed the bus. Anyway, that's not why we're here. Today we're here to talk more about real estate and in particular this episode. What do you think about the real estate market now? Is it hot? Is it cold? Do you think houses are going for more than they have historically or not? There are some actually, there's actually a sort of misconceptions out there. You were just telling me, Mike. And so we're going to tell you a couple anecdotes about why the market is still, I guess, what do you call it? You call it a hot market and you call it. Yeah, I would call it a hot market. I think when, when people say that they mean that houses are lasting on the market for very little time, few days a week. They are going for well above asking. They're getting a lot of offers. And that was the case probably about a year ago, a little less than a year ago, last spring. Mm -hmm. And it was completely unprecedented. And I talked in one of these episodes about how I buyers had to go 110,000 over ask to get a house. Yeah, right. Since then, interest rates have doubled, even more than doubled. They went for about they went from about 3% and now they're at about 7%. So the misconception is that a lot of people feel that, well, with interest rates going up that much, that's probably pushed buyers out of the market mm -hmm. and that you can't possibly have what went on a year ago and probably prices have gone down as a result. And that's the misconception. That really hasn't happened. Mm. And I have a couple of examples of that. One is that, and both these transactions are in process. They're going to close, they're scheduled to close in early March. One's a buyer, one's a seller. So the buyer, this is a, a buyer that is all cash. The mom is a doctor. She's buying a house for her son and his wife. She's probably spending like 600 of the 730s agreed upon price. And I asked her, how do I get in this family? Mm, right. Really nice people, though. I helped the kids. I say kids are probably like late 20s. Yeah. Kids I, to us, yes. 
Kids to us, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I help, I put them in a rental about a year ago in Walpole, and they said, we're going to be back. We're going to want to buy something. So fortunately, that happened. Mm. And to get to the punchline, and I'll give a little background, but to get to the punchline, what they had to do is go 50000 above ask, all cash, mm. waive the inspection contingency, the inspection is for informa- informational purposes only. Mm. And I don't even know how much their bid outbid the next one, even with all of those terms. And it's not just the price. A lot of times it's the terms when, when you get rid of a mortgage. So let's back up big. for one. Sorry, Mike, let's back up for one second here. Paint us a picture. What kind of house are we talking about? Are we talking massive luxury house? Or are we talking starter home? What are we talking? So this is somewhere in the middle. Okay. The, the house had an asking price of 680. It's in Mansfield on the Eastern line near, actually not far from Sharon, near Borderland State Park. Sure. Beautiful neighborhood. But I would say that price-wise, you're in the middle. You're in the 600s, not big luxury houses, not starter homes. These are still four-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath homes with a master bath and maybe 2,500 square feet, so nice homes. Mm. But we're not talking million-dollar, two-million-dollar houses. At that level, the market has slowed. Mm. But in this price range, anywhere up to maybe 700, 750, this is where I think the market is still very hot and what I want to focus on in this episode. Sure. Okay. So tell us, so this one, they ended up, you said they end up going 50, 50 grand above the, the asking. How did they know that that was necessary? So they made, this was actually the third house that they made, they made an offer on. And the first two, they did not go as high as 50,000 above. So they'd set 730 as their limit. Mm. So there was an example of a house in Walpole that was 700. They went 30,000 above. And in all their offers, it was all cash. Inspection contingency waived, but inspection for informational purposes only. Mm-hmm. And the first two they didn't get. This one was 680, so the same 730 applied because that's that was their limit and, and it ended up being 50 above. So... I had a good feeling about this one, like the other two, where it's crazy to say I didn't, Mm. even though you had those terms and that going 30,000 above. But when you go to an open house and you see 20 people when you're there, they're getting 40 or 50. They have two open houses. They're probably getting close to 100. You get a sense from just going to an open house what the activity is. And it's a first two open houses right off the bat as a realtor based on that activity and how new it is in the market, it's going to go well above ask. If you see, say, a couple dozen people at an open house, how many offers are likely to come in that day? I would say in the next 24 hours from yep. the open house, probably at least five. Really? Okay. Sometimes more like 10. If you're in this price range, if right. you're in, say, this 400 to 700 approximately, you're still going to get five, 10 offers. And that's a misconception because people who aren't in the business think that that isn't happening anymore. And that's, those are the conversations I have with people. And I talked about it at my seminar recently, but it's still happening despite the fact that interest rates have more than doubled. Mm. Well, good news for sellers, maybe frustrating for buyers who've been waiting around and hoping for something of a bargain. Yeah, and I think the reason why we're still seeing this phenomenon is that we have very little inventory. Nothing's changed from a year ago in terms, in fact, it's probably worse. 
Mm. Inventory is very low. So real estate's like any other market, the supply and demand. Mm. Supply is still incredibly low. Prices are not going to go down while supply is this low. And, and this has actually proved it because interest rates have gone up. Demand probably has gone down a little bit, but it hasn't mattered. Prices mm. have not gone down. So let's move to the, you have another example of experience that you had that proves to you that the market is still hot, as you'd say. It's still, the, the prices are, are still, don't seem to be showing any signs of falling off. So tell us about this one. Yeah, so this one is actually on the seller's side. And I have a seller in Sharon who put his house in the market and it's in about the same price range as the one I was just talking about. And about, we had a good amount of people at the open house, but it took about a week, which is crazy to say that it took about a week because people, you often see that within two or three days, you get so many offers that it's going to come off the market right away. This one took a week and he got an offer. He got a couple, he got two offers. So not as many as you often see. And is about in the same price range? Did yeah. You okay. Yeah, yeah, right around yeah. the same price range. I think it was, yeah, in the high 600s, 675. Mm-hmm. So he got an offer for six, 665, and he felt good about that, and he accepted it. Then we had the inspection. And this is really where I've never had this before. This is really where you have an unusual situation. So the inspector came in, and the, the both the inspector and the buyer's agent, I'm sorry, Yes, the buyer's agent came in and uh, grabbed me and said, we want to show you something. Mm. And there was a three-season room that my seller converted to a four-season room. And the inspector said, this room is held up by plywood. Mm. And I said, what are you talking about? And so he showed me outside that there was some plywood, but it wasn't supporting the structure. So I, I didn't say anything because it was not really my place to. I just listened to him. No, what does that mean? Plywood is is cheap and brittle or something, or, or yeah, it's not yeah. like he he was saying that it wasn't that there was no support in terms of like four by fours or four by fours clamped to the to the room itself. He made it seem like you just had this plywood that you might have like in a fort that you built when you were twelve years <laughs> right. old, treehouse. Yeah, yeah, essentially that's yeah. that's really what he was saying. So I just listened. And I wasn't going to, my place isn't to sit there and say, well, that's not true. And here's why you right. just, just want to listen right. and communicate this to the seller. So the seller called the builder and the builder laughed mm. and he said, you can just look up in the town records, which this buyer should have done with mm. his agent. You can just look up in the town records and you can see that that room is properly supported. It has four by fours with clamps and all you have to do is you can go underneath and see that mm. and the inspector supposedly went under there where did the inspector get the idea in the first place that it was just plywood? so so there there is some plywood there okay and but it's not supporting the structure all you have to I do see. is go underneath you can see the four by fours and there's actually some you can't see this with the naked eye but there is underneath the ground there's there's cement that supports the entire structure. Mm. But but the four by fours alone, you see, I can see that yeah. you walk in and there they are supporting the room. So we had a young couple buying it and they got spooked. So really this is a case of an inspector who, in my opinion, killed the deal because he was an overambitious inspector, came up with something that wasn't true, spooked them, they mm. backed out. 
Wow. So we put it back. Even after they found out the true story? They didn't know the true story. Oh, okay. They backed out before. They backed out. And and at that point, my seller said, well, this isn't the person I want to go with because they're going to find something else. They're going to find another reason to back out. And... So it he so we put it back on the market, which is always a problem. The reason why is because I'll get a I'll get a bunch of calls from realtors, and I got like ten. I never had to have an open another open house because I got so many calls and and showings. But every single one is going to say, and I would say the same thing: Why is the house back on the market? Right. And some realtors aren't truthful with you. I know some realtors who will say, no matter what, financing fell through. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's not really you you. It's pretty obvious you're lying if it happens really quickly and it's the day after the inspection. It's like you right. don't even get to that point. Right. It would, take, fi- it would take some time to work Ex- through the financing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So what I did and my approach in general is to be transparent, tell people the truth. And so what I told every other realtor is what I just said to you. You have an overambitious inspector. This is what he said about the room. It's not true. Here's um, the information that the town had in their records. I can go under the room. And for people who came and did a showing, I said, let me go under here. Come with me. Let me show you exactly how it's supported. And you can even tell by the naked eye without looking underneath and seeing the cement footings, which are shown in the town records. So I was, I was very open. And I said, this is the reason. And let me show you. Mm-hmm. And it was it ended up being a great approach because in every single case, they said, oh, yeah, I see exactly what you mean. And I understand here's the plywood. And I see that this is where the inspector mistakenly thought this was supported. And so by being open and transparent, it it's a good explanation because it's a good explanation because. That's not the kind of thing that would be contrived, right? You wouldn't make that up, like the whole story about the plywood. And the, and so I'm sure people could understand, like you said. And you can, yeah, right. No, you're exactly true. If the room was held up by plywood, if it would have felt, <laughs> it would have fallen down a long yeah. time ago. Yeah. But the fact that you don't even have to be an inspector and you can go underneath and, and you don't have to crawl. We're not talking about like under a porch where you have to remove lattice and, and get on your hands and knees. You, you can go in and you can clearly see, put on a flashlight, so there's a support. It's in each of the four corners. And so it seems like this inspector just was was hunting for some reason to, I don't know, prove his metal, his toughness of being an inspector or something. It's odd, though, isn't it? It is. And, yeah. and you see that. And we taught, we call mm-hmm. them deal killers. <laughs> right. And they you're exactly right. They come in and they say, well, I have to prove that I'm a really good home inspector and right. I'm finding things that other people wouldn't find. But mm-hmm. it was a really bad example from the inspector's point of view because you could go in and see. And not only should the customer and the agent gone into the town records where you can see what was really supporting the room, the inspector should have done that as well. Mm, right, right. So, so what ended up happening is it came back on the market, and we, this time we got into a bidding war. Why we didn't the first time, why we got 10000 less than asking, it's hard to explain. But when it went back on the market, we had multiple offers. Mm. They were both above asking. I think both initially were for the same amount. They're for six eighty five. When asking was for six seventy five, and one of the two parties was determined that there was absolutely no way they were going to lose this house. Right. They went up to six ninety eight. 
So 698 versus a 665 initially, my client was ecstatic that he got $33,000 more than he was originally going to get. And we explained, here's the other thing. We explained, when we explained what happened in the inspection, they understood that we didn't want to go through that again. And so I I positioned it with the other realtor as, here's what happened my client doesn't want to have to go through this again. So understand going into the inspection, he's not looking to really do much here. And that by positioning that way and by telling my customer we're positioning that way, it sets them up for success. Right. Right. And so the moral of both stories is don't underestimate how hot the market remains for sellers. And also beware the aggressive inspector. (laughs) definitely do your due diligence and you should always as a buyer go to town hall look at the town records Mm. see what's been done what's been done that's had a permit if it's not there obviously they didn't have a permit but Mm. you want to know when was the roof done don't go by what the seller necessarily said like hopefully they're right but they may say "Eh, it's around 15 years old and you go to town hall and you see it's 25 years old and maybe the buyer that made the original offer and then backed out maybe their heart wasn't in it or who who knows right but it's a shame that they made their decision based on bad information because although ends out working out for your client your customer because of the ultimate sale price right yeah, and, and you actually just hit on something that I thought of, which is that yep. these people missed out on a great house in a great neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that hopefully this buyer ends up in a great house in a great neighborhood, but they missed out on this, and the person who ends up getting it is going to be really happy there. Maybe the inspector learned a lesson too, but from the sound of what this person is like, uh, who knows if, if they're beyond help. Hopefully. <laughs> Before we go, we're going to do an edition of More About Mike, where we have a random question about life in general. So you can get to know Mike Freeman, the realtor, and Mike Freeman, the person. More About Mike. More About Mike. More About Mike. So on this episode, the question is this, Mike. What did you think of what was apparently, maybe, a terrible call in the Super Bowl? And maybe as part B... Do you have any other examples throughout your sports rooting career, (laughs) lifetime, of bad calls? Because it kind of can ruin a game, and yet it always gives people a lot to talk about. So we're talking about the the holding, defensive holding call that pretty much ended the game and and kind of sealed it for the the Chiefs. But what did you think? So I thought that... It was a good call. Now, I really just like Philadelphia fans, and there's a whole long history of that. But they're yep. known to have the worst fans. They booed Santa Claus. They did. And that's not a myth, by the way. There's a whole story behind that. There, There is. Yeah, the guy. there was a guy who was pressed into duty to be Santa Claus, and I guess the suit didn't fit him that well or something, and he was just not a good Santa. And so instead of being accepting and nice about it, Philadelphia Eagles fans pelted him with snowballs and booed him. <laughs> They're not nice people. And I know I yeah. have stories that probably aren't appropriate for this podcast okay. about Philadelphia <laughs> fans. So I know I'm a little biased, but but here's how I look at it. Yeah. When the Philadelphia cornerback comes out and says, I held him, I grabbed his shirt, I was hoping the referee didn't call it. Right. To me, that shows you everything you need to know. He yep. And he did. He held him. Now, mm-hmm. I don't subscribe to the theory that, well, if... 
if something happens in this part of the game, in the second quarter, you don't call it. But if it's the end of the game, or, or you do call it, but the end of the game, you don't. Mm. It's either penalty or it's not. And it's unfortunate, but life can be unfortunate. And that's, that's and that's the way that's the way it happened. And I think that it's too bad that, it, like you said, it did basically end the game and yeah. Kansas City could just run out the clock. But it was a penalty. Yeah. And he held him and grabbed his shirt. So I don't think it's a ticky-tack foul. I think it, it really was, and it's too bad. But then again, it happened to Philadelphia, so it's, <laughs> it's just not too bad. Yeah, to me, it's, it's, it's also, it goes to show you how sports is not, rooting for a team is not a sort of rational pursuit. It, it, it's irrational. It's why fan is short for fanatic. Why do we care about these people running around in these uniforms and we don't know them personally? They will probably, most of them will never meet us personally, and yet we intensely want them to either win or lose. And so we focus on things like this call, and part of the irrationality is, like, f- Eagles fans might be screaming, you blew the game for us, you blew... But it was just one moment in, a, in 60 minutes of football that, and, and you're right, it was technically the right call. I, I, the, my only reaction is, I, I agree with you, but I just, I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't want him to make the call because I didn't have too much of a rooting interest in this game really at all. So I just wanted to see it come down to the wire. And it looked like it was going to come down to the wire, meaning if, if Casey has, is forced to kick the field goal right then at that point in the game with like a minute 50 left or something, then at least we're going to get to see Jalen Hurts and the Eagles take a shot and maybe a fantastic finish down the other end. And as it happened, it was like, oh, they're just going to run out the clock. That's it. Yeah. I mean, again, it's it's unfortunate, but that's the nature of the sport that that can happen. And I heard someone point out that that doesn't happen in baseball. They always get their last chance and the other team can't spoil that. And yeah, it was interesting that somebody said that you always get your last ups to use the term that you use when when you're a kid. The, The other team can't make it so that the clock runs out, but Philadelphia didn't get their last ups. But, you know, to your point, how bad would a, pe- would a penalty have to be for the Philadelphia fans to say, okay, they had to call that? <laughs> to me, there's yeah. like, you yeah. could you could have tackled the guy and thrown mud in his face and Philadelphia yeah. would still say, oh, what a bad call. How do you make a call in that situation? Well, sometimes you have to. Can you remember any calls in in your in the, all your years of rooting that you were really upset about bad calls? I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> so there are a lot. There are a lot. Okay, probably <laughs> the most egregious is probably the roughing the passer in the 70s with Ray Hamilton. That's what I was, 1976. I was, I was the first one I, I thought of, and we were very young at the time, but I still have a memory of it. And then it became frustrating as a Patriots fan to know that that was kind of part of our story. The Patriots were 11-3 and three that year. They only played 14 games. And... They were an outside shot to win the Super Bowl and or at least make it to the Super Bowl for the first time. And they got knocked out by the Raiders, who eventually went on to win the Super Bowl. And what's frustrating about that is the the ref later, he didn't admit that he was wrong ever, but he apparently showed some some bias because he loved, loved to talk about Mr. Davis, Mr. Al Davis, and how right. great an owner he was. Ben Dreith. Ben Dreith, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was frustrating. But then... We got our revenge, we right? Got our, we got our revenge, and Patrick Sullivan went a little too far oh, that, and then got beat up by Matt 
by Matt Millen. Matt Millen, right. But, but yeah, the Patriots probably had their best, well, they definitely had their best team to that point from starting 1960 to that point, and they might have won the Super Bowl. And Well, they, the, the, the game in 85 that you're talking about is when the Patriots went into Oakland and beat them on the way to a Super Bowl appearance, at least. And I had a friend of mine saying that was the best day ever as a as a Patriots fan. The, the Patriots had a great upset victory. And Patrick Sullivan, that pain in the ass, got smashed in the face by Matt Millen's helmet. <laughs> yeah, he got smashed in the face, and the, the game was in Oakland. So um, weird. Actually, were they in Oakland then? Or no, they are actually oh, the L.A. LA. You're probably right, yeah. No, I, I first said Oakland. Who knows? But, yeah. but then the other, you know what happened 25 years, almost, not quite exactly, but almost 25 years exactly to the day of the Ben Dreith game was? That was the, the Tuck, the the tuck, tuck rule, rule game. I right. was there. I was there, too. Last last game ever, the old Foxborough stadium. stadium. It was a zoo that night. Snow falling. It was right after 9-11, so it, the crowds to get in were ridiculous because of the security measures. What a night, yeah. though. No, that snow. I had a snow drift on my head. I don't know about you. <laughs> no, it was yeah. it was pretty crazy. I almost left. Oh, no. I almost left Say before. So. Well, yeah, when... Um, oh, when the call, when Brady yeah. apparently fumbled it. Yeah, everyone in the stadium thought it was a fumble. Everyone. Everyone. Because nobody knew there was such a thing as a tuck rule, right. which had happened all year, but nobody knew. So I started to leave. Yep. And a friend of mine said, don't know. Don't leave. You never know. And in fact, he's actually the friend in that example who got the 33000 extra dollars. Oh, really? Okay. He's actually that <laughs> this same. This guy's a winner. <laughs> he's, he is a winner. Yeah. He, said, he said, Mike, don't leave. And I came back. I was I was gonna be out of that stadium, and we waited, and we know what happened. History, yeah. I'll never, changed. I'll never forget that referee's voice because he didn't even come close to completing his sentences. After reviewing the play, the quarterback's arm was moving for, and as soon as he didn't finish the sentence, that you you just could hear everybody screaming like, "Oh my God!" It, thank you, Lord. That's <laughs> they, that's all you're right. That's all you needed to hear, yeah. and then everything went to Patriots' way after that because they yep. made great plays. That's right. That 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 game. I should I should go back. You and I should both sit down with our sons and make sure that they they rewatch that game. I mean, they because what a what a moment in Patriots history. It also you you could argue it 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 you could argue that moment turned around Boston as a sports city because because up until then we hadn't won anything since the mid eighties, right? And and after that we became. Winter town instead of loser town. So we will go on. We'll probably talk sports again, Mike, knowing you and I. But for now, we will say farewell and see you in two weeks. Mike, if people want to reach you by the phone, would you be willing to give out that number? Absolutely. 617-759-1513. Always happy to talk about real estate or anything else you want. We encourage you to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your shows. If you want to get in touch with Mike, mike.freeman at nemoves.com is the email address. Did I get that right, Mike? Mike? Yes, you did. Mike.freeman at nemoves.com. And people can go to the website as well. Absolutely. You can go to mikefreemanhomes.com. Very good. Terrific job today, usual as Mike. Thank we will you. See you. We will see you next time. Freeman on Real Estate.